And listen, the Venn diagram of people who are into those things is quite nearly a circle. So, which kind uh, now of now this just got master? me thinking about now it's just got me thinking about that sexy priest book that one of our friends from book club has me reading. <laughs> it is not good, but I am going to read the entire thing because after he eats out this lady on the church piano, he has this whole crisis, but then actually a crisis has of faith. A trans- <laughs> actually has a transcendent moment of connection with God. And so now apparently God exists in this universe. It's written by a pretty earnest ex-Catholic who still respects the church. So I think God might exist in this book and he and this lady are soulmates or something. And I need to know everything about it. So I will be reading the entire Sexy Priest book. Speaking of our book club, um, members of our book club share like their Spotify wrapped every year, including us, because we are who mm-hmm. we are. But one of our friends <laughs> commented on the fact that four of our five top artists like are the same. Mm-hmm. And that's just because those four are all artists I introduced you to. Yeah, this is the podcast is not an isolated incident as far as you introducing me to media and me liking it. I did show screenshots of both of our top five artists, and I think it gives you the top five artists and the top five songs next to each Mm -hmm. other. And I showed yours and mine to my spouse, and I had them guess which one was which. And they said, (laughs) oh, this will be easy because I've already seen Renz on Instagram. And then they were looking at them, and their eyes got really wide, and they were like, (laughs) oh, I don't actually know. And the way that they were able to figure it out was you had Sammy Ray and the Friends closer to you on your top five, and I didn't. And they were saying, it's not that you don't listen to Closer to You. It's you don't listen to it that much. So Rin listens to it more than you. Therefore, this one has to be theirs and this one has to be yours. But we are in many ways indistinguishable. And I love that for us. Yeah, our friend was like, the degree to which the two of you are in sync is kind of creepy. But that's fun. It, it's our charm. It's it's the genre. Yeah. I wish I had a clever tie-in between genre and fantasy, but I don't. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Roll the intro music. Yeah, but anyway, I guess if we likely did not make it into your top podcasts uh, last year, because by the time you're listening to this, I think this, I I put up our schedule of releases on our Instagram the other day. Um, I think this is episode 11. This will be Um, late January, I think. No. Um, No. This will be episode 11, not including our intro episode. Episode Our intro episode is episode zero. Episode 11 releases in February of 2024. Okay. So if you are listening to this, it is at least early February of 2024. Uh, so I hope the new year is treating us all better than the last several have. 
I hope Aragorn will be my Valentine. If not, there are several others I will settle for. Settle for. Like the person you're married to. Hmm. I mean, I we were just having a discussion earlier about how they feel that now that they have, in their words, trans their gender, that they should get a boyfriend because that seems to be something that happens. And I said that they could get as many boyfriends as they wanted. And they said they would probably just buy Baldur's Gate 3 and get boyfriends that way. <laughs> I love that you're my monogamous friend, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh- <laughs> you're not the only one who contains multitudes. <laughs> I'm your token I'll monogamous friend. <laughs> what a charming life we lead. You know who else is charmed? Who? By Ren? the ring. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Boromir. Yeah, fucking Boromir. He's the worst. I feel kind of bad for him. And maybe the more that I reflect on him, the more I'll pity him. But yeah, he also just sucks. He's terrible. What was the what god, what's the pity pity golem um That's it. Pity. It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Hmm. Do not be e- too eager to deal out death in judgment. That is apt. It's a good sentiment. It is. I was. There were a bunch of moments throughout these two chapters that I was getting callbacks to earlier in the book and we'll mention it as we get there but before we get there sam Mm -hmm. who are we and what are we here for i'm sam you're rin we are reading lord of the rings together if you haven't figured that out through context clues already you grew up reading these series so this is a revisit for you for me this is the end of the first part of my journey because we are theoretically finishing fellowship today but we are here we're queer and we're talking about elves we are talking about elves we are not talking about elf ass this time i don't think um elves have other parts that we can i have things to say on the subject of elf pubes but oh (laughs) is this i think i might know (laughs) what that's referring to we'll get we will We'll get there. So we are finishing today book two of Fellowship of the Ring being the end of first part, the first part of The Lord of the Rings. And that will cover, we will cover two chapters, hopefully, uh, The Great River and The Breaking of the Fellowship. I think we should just get to it. We have been dancing around actually talking about the chapter. We just need to get started. Um, I'm going to come out swinging strong okay Um, please do the first line was frodo was roused by sam and i read that as frodo was aroused by sam fair Um, fair and i've been reading a fair amount of smut lately because that's where my brain is your right as is my right um as a 20 awuga year old woman with a heavy asterisk on woman. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, so Sam arouses Frodo. Sam helps him uh, 
wake up. Get up, if you will. Yes. And I think you will. I also really don't like, we were sort of describing like the edges of Lothlorien as they're making their way down the river. And I don't mm-hmm. like how Tolkien describes the trees as gray-skinned. Huh, yeah, the skin part didn't really strike me the first time through. Yeah, I don't I don't like it. It's really yeah, bad, in fact. That was maybe not the way he was intending to get that vibe across, but this is not a place that we're supposed to like. It's all of the green of Lorien is sort of fading away as they're going down the river. They reach the very aptly named Brown Lands, where the land is brown and everything is dead and it's all sticks and it's stupid. And they don't spend the whole time in the Brown Lands, but I really just clung on to that name as being a very good description of what's happening. It's really, the setting is reflecting the emotional state that they're in at this point, which is that shit is bleak. There's no pretty flowers and nice trees to shield you from the horrors of the world. They are just out there and exposed and trying not to try not to die. It's stick season in, in middle (laughs) earth. (laughs) I think they would rather be in a small town in Vermont than where they are right now. Would Noah, where would Noah Kahan be from in Middle Earth? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, the Shire probably, but he'd be angsty about it. Mm. Mm. Because the Shire is, it's got that small town energy. It's got that charm that if you don't live there, you think, oh, this is so cute. This is so nice. It must be great to live here. But then if you do live there and everybody's in everybody else's business and it's only nice for one or two seasons and then it's shitty the rest of the year. You know, I th- I think he'd be a hobbit. Noah Kahan is a took. Yes. Yes. So we have assigned him his, his hobbit Sona. Um, Noah Kahan, if you're ever you're listening to our podcast, um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're happy with your hobbit Sona anyway. Yeah. So um, it's pretty bleak. There's not a ton happening and they have black swans flying overhead yeah in a phalanx which is the same word that we use to describe swans in gandalf's um fireworks at the very beginning and i googled swans phalanx i don't think that that's an official word that you use to describe that formation of swans i think that's just a tolkienism yeah i think it's because a phalanx is a grouping of uh, spearmen, mm-hmm. um, and I think I think Tolkien sort of using that with like the long necks, yeah, right. Um, and I know we're meant to see like black swans as like I don't know a corruption of like what Tolkien would have been familiar with in the UK the the mute swan, which is um, what we have around where we live too in New England and the US because it's been introduced, but it's the nice, like, white, you know, supposedly gorgeous, actually demonic being, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But black swans exist. Cygnus atratus is an Australian species. And I think they're very pretty. 
Um, Let me so know, now. Like, I need to Google some black swans. Yeah, uh, not the movie with is it Natalie Portman? I don't know. I never watched that fucking movie. I I didn't either. But oh, there's one with a baby riding on its back. That's pretty cute. Yeah, they're they're you know they're swans, so they're gonna be evil because swans mm-hmm. are evil no matter how pretty they look. But like. Black swans is not scary. They're 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 just swans. I'd be more yeah. worried if he was like there was a herd of Canada geese flying overhead. <laughs> now we know shit's bad. Yeah. Canada, which now canonically exists in this world. <laughs> Fine. They can be, I don't know, Arnor geese. Sure. Sure. But with the the black swans, the Cygnus Atratus flying overhead, Aragorn gets to serve his purpose as the DMPC again and tell Mm -hmm. everyone about the map and where everything is and what we have to look forward to seeing. Um, And I was reading this in your apartment. I recall. I was there. And so I just kept like, you noticed me. I I kept flipping back and forth like every other line to the map. Mm-hmm. And you were like, are you looking for somewhere specific? And I was like, no, I'm just orienting myself. Don't worry about it. And I admire that because I don't really have any frame of reference for what these distances mean. And even if it was places in the real world, my sense of scale and distance is not great. So you can make sense of that. And then I just get to sit here and have it explained to me, which works out very well for me. I'm really good at direction. I'm really bad at distance. Mm-hmm. So when he's talking about like, when Aragorn talks about like, oh, you know, we're not even 200 miles south of like, we're at the same latitude as the south farthing at this point. We're not that far from there. I was like, oh shit, right? And so I had to like go and look and be like, so where the fuck are they? And also the borders of the Shire aren't really drawn on that map. So I had to be like, where the fuck is the South Farthing? Um, Mm -hmm. And anyway, I, as we talked about when we first got Strider introduced, we, we being storytellers in general, like to put in characters to describe our little worlds because that's fun mm-hmm. because we spent time building them. And I do that in my D and D games all the time. We've talked about this. Yes, We've talked about this. So I just, I just love the fact that uh, we, we return to Aragorn doing this. I feel like we're seeing a little bit throughout this chapter of Ar- Aragorn has sort of put himself in the leader role occupied by Gandalf And I feel like we're seeing a little bit now of him starting to reconcile that position with who he was before Gandalf's death. Hmm. Interesting. But anyway, most of this, most of this um, chapter is going to be them going down the river. It's, it's another travel sequence, but there are obviously highlights that we should mention. I don't know what you have, but the next line that, I have two lines. One I have is the company was too naked and I don't think there is such a thing for any writer of AO3. <laughs> I'm sure they could all get a little more naked and wet with each other in the water if they wanted to. <laughs> you know, if everybody's down, 
good for them. But yeah, you know, whatever they want to do, if you get bored in the boats, that's fine. And and then I know you have this other line. No, and no. I have a line that's before that. Okay. That is somewhat more plot related because really there's not a whole lot that happens in this chapter. And so we're sort of grasping at little details to find things to talk about. But Boromir is definitely fully losing it. And we start to get indications of that as early as the beginning of this chapter. And I had written down, Merry and Pippin in the middle boat were ill at ease, for Boromir sat muttering to himself, sometimes biting his nails, as if some restlessness or doubt consumed him, sometimes seizing a paddle and driving the boat close behind Aragorn's. And something is really bothering Boromir. And as we move on, we're going to find out what that is and what's going on with him. But we're definitely laying the groundwork for transitioning from Boromir just being a kind of obnoxious, entitled prince to something is really wrong with him. The ring corruption is really starting to set in. Immediately after that is the line that we both definitely had written down. Is this the one that's related to elf pubes or is that something else? This is related to elf pubes, yes. Yes, okay. Gimli was fingering gold in his mind. Um, And when I read this in your apartment, I stopped and called this line out and was like, that's an interesting nickname for Legolas. (laughs) Um, but also I had the thought as I was rereading today, perhaps that's, uh, Gimli thinking about, um, perhaps the carpet matches the drapes there on Legolas. So, which Legolas's hair is never actually given a color in the book. Mm -hmm. But as we all know, Orlando Bloom has a wonderful wig in the movies, so... And I don't really know what the elf body hair situation is. Because I never really imagine elves with a lot of body hair. So I don't know. I actually have commentary on that, surprisingly, later in this chapter. Later in the chapter? Okay, we can save it. Yes. Well, actually, I think it's next chapter, but we'll get there. Okay. There is another phrase later here uh, that I'm going to fixate on because of the mental image that it drew for me. Um, Okay which is the heart of Legolas was running because I started immediately imagining an anatomically correct heart, but with little stick arms and legs and a little face and long blonde hair and a bow running through the woods. (laughs) Oh boy. That's, that's unsettling. It was. (laughs) What were you going to say? I was just going to say this whole beginning of the chapter is very slow and sort of ponderous and we just kind of check in with everyone and see how they're doing um Gimli finger and gold in his mind Pippin has caught a queer gleam in his eye which I'm not totally sure what that's about but he's got he's got a gleam and it's because he's staring at Legolas I think he was staring at Frodo if we reference the text we can find out Gimli staring at Frodo has the queer gleam, or is this is this Boromir? Pippin has the queer gleam. Yeah. We can reference the text, or we can move on. (laughs) Yeah. Then Pippin, who sat in the bow looking back, caught a queer gleam in his eye as he peered forward, gazing at Frodo. So, Frodo's queerness is inspiring him. I don't know. Ah, yes. He's, He's staring at Sam. And remembering how Sam woke him up that morning. So... Pippin is staring at Frodo, staring at Sam. Yes. It's a triangle of staring. 
and and Frodo has the queer gleam in his eye because he's remembering how Sam woke him up that morning. Okay, but Pippin is the one who has the queer gleam. I th- we're getting too into the weeds with the- this. Is the trouble with the fact that all of them use he/him pronouns? Mm-hmm. Because I have met many a gay writer who could who could figure out how to differentiate these men better. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote men. Anyway. They realize, finally, as they're going down the river, that Gollum was following them. So, yeah, so one for Sammy. Yes, because Sam is talking about how he had a dream, but he's not sure if it's a dream, about a log with eyes. And so at first I was thinking, this is an alligator or crocodile or similar creature, because in other fantasy novels that I've read, where characters are encountering an alligator for the first time they describe it as being like a log with eyes because that's reasonable it's kind of what they look like but then i went oh no obviously it's totally Gollum, and i was right and Mm -hmm. then aragorn confirms that Gollum has been following them this whole time and he's riding along on the river on a log and paddling with his little feeties and it seems kind of weird that Aragorn didn't say anything to the party this whole time. Yeah. Yeah, he's been following them since Moria. Yeah, that's pretty damn far. Right. Um, It feels weird to me that Aragorn didn't tell them. Um, Yeah, because he doesn't lose anything by telling them. It's not like saying Gollum's name will summon him. You know, it's probably good for them all to be on the lookout, but yeah, I think he probably doesn't want to make them afraid quite yet. He doesn't want to provide extra fear while he's still there to sort of like be paying attention on their behalf. I think mm-hmm. this, if we really want to dig into it, could be the first indication that Aragorn knows that Frodo is going to split off. Oh, okay. Tell me more about that. Right. If he's refrained from telling the company because he's the one keeping an eye on this situation until it becomes a threat, him now telling the company, partially because Sam has figured it out and partially because he's now potentially seeing this, like, I think he still doesn't think Gollum's a threat. It doesn't, he doesn't really bring him up for the rest of the chapter, right? He doesn't Mm -hmm. like be like, oh, we should set watches and things. They set watches for other reasons, but they, they're they not specifically focused on Gollum. I think he's telling Frodo and Sam because he's his plan is at this point to still more or less go to Gondor. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk more about his choice because I have more um, to say about his choices to go to Gondor or not a little later when that becomes relevant. Mm-hmm. But their their sort of lazy journey down the river gets a little more like they keep noticing things, right? They keep noticing the barren lands. They notice the black swans. They notice a giant eagle hunting in the distance, mm-hmm. which is interesting that that seems to be seems to scare Aragorn because the eagles so far we've seen as like good creatures, but I think we also need to remember that they are powerful and proud and predators. The three P's. The three P's. Uh, they're they're a little like Bayorn, which you know he's they're fine, but if they turn for any reason, 
then they're fucking dangerous. Yeah. But they finally come to Sarngabir, which means stone spikes in Sindarin. And they didn't realize they were getting to Sarngabir so quickly. They thought they still had like a day or two before they got to the rapids. Um, and they know there's no way they're going to be able to cross them at night. But as they try and get away, they are shot at by orcs. And Legolas invokes the name of Elbereth as he shoots down a big shadow. Yeah, and Frodo thinks that he has an idea of what the shadow might be, but he refuses to say. And I have no fucking clue what this thing could be. Do you have any insight on that, or is that a secret? I do, and I will say nothing. Okay, great. Yeah, I legitimately do not have any guesses. We haven't encountered anything that really matches this description of a flying shadow. So I don't know what it could be. And I don't know why Frodo would know, except maybe if it's more of his residual attunement to dark forces after his encounter with the blade being stuck in his arm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to have to be patient on that one. And they have a whole talk about time and mm -hmm. feeling, because again, Tolkien focuses on time where they're like, oh, we spent so much longer back in Elfland than we meant, than we meant to. Um, yeah. And Frodo says, oh, it's because of Galadriel and her ring. And our Aragorn puts his head in his hands and goes, how many times do I have to tell you people? To not say shit about the rings. Yeah, and to not even speak of the rings to him, that this is a really taboo subject. And it's not super clear to me if the ring, if her ring is a secret, because she's wearing it, but I don't know if people know that it's a super magic ring. So I don't know if it's common knowledge that she has this powerful ring and it's just not something you should talk about or if it is totally a secret um not sure if there's more context that would expand on that i'm not sure if this line was said already but the three elven rings uh it's mentioned at one point that sauron's hand never touched them they were not mm -hmm. forged by him his hand has no control over them the rings that he made were meant almost an imitation of the elven rings. Okay. And so, you know, I think he would love to get his hands on them, but he can't and hasn't so far, at least. Mm -hmm. But Aragorn sort of, again, it confirms what they're thinking is that time, it doesn't necessarily flow differently, but they experience it differently in Lorien. Mm -hmm. And then he says a line, winter is nearly gone. Time flows on to a spring of little hope. And I thought back to Bilbo's little couplet uh, right before they left the house of Elrond. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. I don't have any more commentary on that, but... <laughs> yeah, and I don't think it needs... A lot more, but I do like the idea of spring being this hopeless season because that's, you know, usually reserved for the colder months. But also I feel like spring does generally just kind of suck in that 
there's sort of a cultural idea of spring that we have that there's flowers and bunnies and everything's cute and blooming and restoring after the winter but at least here spring is just cold and wet and muddy and still snowy and you keep hoping for things to get better and they just don't and then when things bloom there's pollen everywhere and you're sneezy and itchy and miserable so yeah i'm down to have spring be the hopeless bleak time because it kind of is yeah, I was thinking of mud season. Yeah. Which mud season is, for those of you who are not from the Northeast, mud season is an entire season uh, that takes the place of what would normally be spring. And it's between the last the last snow kind of slowly melting away and when it becomes so hot, you can feel your skin boiling off you. Mm-hmm. And it's right in that sweet spot. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the weather here sucks. <laughs> yeah, but we but we love it. We super love it. I, I do anyway. actually like this place. Anyway, they're sort of starting to talk about what might happen after they're like, what direction they're going to take is once they pass Sarngabir, which apparently no one has ever sailed through Sarngabir alive. Oh, okay. According to this, they keep, t- they keep, mentioning that point which and i don't think they do go through sarngabir i think they portage around it but did we we talked last time about big al the whitewater rafting guide yes we did yes good uh i think big al the whitewater rafting guide would manage to get through sarngabir oh totally absolutely i love that he's now a mythic figure in our podcast i i have no (laughs) idea what the like if what the rest of his name is or you know and i wouldn't say it on the podcast if i knew that's okay. We know everything well. we need to know. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, but Boromir is fucking pissy again. Yeah, and he is just complaining about every single part of the plan and that it's going to be dangerous and he thinks it's foolish. He knew this was going to be dangerous and I've made this point on the show before. Mm-hmm. He understood what he was signing up for and then he just continues to complain about every aspect of it and it's obnoxious. And at this point, like I said, we're, it's really becoming clear that the ring's influence is starting to fuck with him. And I think that's definitely a factor, but also he's just not a team player. He doesn't play well with others and it makes him really annoying to have as part of the party. In my notes, I I have much the same thing, but like his whole purpose is defending his city is defending his is defending his land gondor and minas tirith that was you know when we set out the intent was always that boromir and potentially aragorn would split off to minas tirith but none of the rest of them pledged to go along and frodo specifically was pledged not to go along he has his own quest but Boromir says a line at one point, if my help has not earned the reward of any companionship. And he sounds like some incel college boy who's mad you won't fuck him after he was nice to you once. That is exactly what he sounds like. And that's honestly a vibe that I get from his sort of evil villain monologue later was the same exact thing. But yeah, right here, this is the beginnings of that that he feels entitled to more from the party you are Mm -hmm. absolutely right yes yeah 
And I think, I think he's also pissed because he knows like Aragorn was intending to go with him. And then mm-hmm. Gandalf died and Aragorn took over leading the company. And so that's not on the table anymore. He's feeling like he was jilted, like something was promised to him and circumstances that have occurred shouldn't change what he was promised, despite the fact that they definitely mm-hmm. do. Um, yeah. But anyway, that will, we'll discuss that more when we get to his monologue or later but there's also a line when they're talking about they have they have to portage the boats carry the boats out of the river uh, along a little path and it apparently according to Borobir would not have been easy even if we were all men and then Gimli says something about how yeah but you know we don't have your height uh or your straight up strength uh but us dwarves can carry shit twice as long um even mm-hmm. when the legs of men would give out um, and I know this, like the word men is being used to describe humans, but it does give the impression again that dwarf is a distinct gender. Yeah. And I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yes. There's not too much more in this chapter, but I want to hit on Argonoth, the pillars of the Kings. Okay. And then I have one thing after that and then we can move on. Yes. Even Boromir bowed his head as they passed by the Kings. This feels very Ozymandias to me um but like as the statue of ozymandias was clearly meant to be before everything fell away and was reduced Mm -hmm. to desert Mm -hmm. um i don't know if you're familiar with the ozymandias poem um i think i am because we used it for the telephone game with our DD party we absolutely did but for those of you who aren't familiar, it's about a, a man who travels or who meets a traveler from a foreign land who speaks about a ruined statue that lies in the desert. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. And then it says, nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. And um, I, think it's a, I think it's a wonderful poem about, you know, the, the ravages of time, which of course was a riddle in The Hobbit. Slays king, mm-hmm. ruins town, and beats high mountains down. But the Argonauts are the visages of Isildur and Anarion, who mm-hmm. are ancestors of Aragorn, right? Oh, cool. From 3,000 plus years ago. So uh, Isildur was the one who failed to destroy the ring the first time and mm-hmm. uh, whose who's ruined and now reforged sword uh, Aragorn now carries, right? Mm-hmm. So... I thought this was really interesting to see, you know, to compare this in my mind to Ozymandias, to this, you know, statue ravaged by time to where, you know, it was clearly once a depiction of a great king and nothing's left. To these statues where there's definitely still memory of what these great kings accomplished, but there's still ruins around. Amon Law and Amon Hen aren't occupied 
by Gondor anymore. Aragorn notes later that, you know, it could be dangerous. We don't know, you know, orcs had never previously come here, but we don't know if there are now. We we just don't have a foothold here that we used to. And this is more of that sort of post-apocalyptic, the world is not what it once was mm-hmm. continuation of that theme. Yeah. And as we pass the gates of Argonoth, we look back and we have uh, Frodo gazing upon Strider. Yeah, and I I made a note of that. Um, uh-huh. And this is, as we're just continuing more themes that have been brought up previously, we've had a lot of these moments throughout the book of Aragorn suddenly kind of transforming the light hits him differently and you sort of see him in his full majesty in this case the quote is that he's a king returning from exile to his own land and this sort of crusty rangery strideriness falls away and you see this really powerful sort of gleaming figure which is amazing i really love aragorn i've said many times that I think he's an awesome leader. I think he's really cool and he can totally get it. But I also have a capital P prediction, (laughs) which is I know that the last book is called Return of the King and Aragorn's gotta be the king, right? He's gotta be. I know that you can't say, but it seems it literally says a king returning from exile. King returning, return of the king. He's gonna, he's gonna return. I'm calling it. That seems like a really easy guess. And as the king returns, potentially, I felt like the way this was described, I was thinking like he looks like a goddamn painting, like George Washington crossing the Delaware. (laughs) But getting back into it, uh, Aragorn looks like Aragorn, the heir to Isildur's throne now. And he says Mm -hmm. that his heart is called to Minas Anor, which is an old name for Minas Tirith. And you can tell he's conflicted here. He wants to keep the commitment that he made to Boromir. He wants to fulfill, you know, probably what he sees as to some extent his destiny. Right? He is heir to a throne of a country he's never been in. Mm -hmm. And he feels like he should defend it but also going with Frodo and managing the quest and the burden that Frodo carries will save everyone including Gondor yeah so they come upon Amon Hen and Amon Law and the third peak in the center Tolbrandir which is the tinned rock that Boromir was talking about earlier Um, and it says at the end of the chapter here, the last stage of the quest was before them, which is bold words from a man about to publish two more whole volumes of the story, Professor. Yeah. The last stage yeah, of the quest. Dude, we're not a third of the way through yet. Mm-mm. Bold fucking words. Anyway, that's the end of um, the Great River, in my opinion. Do you have anything else for the Great River? No, nah, I want to move on. It's just the kind of okay river that chapter was not the most interesting one. But the we next made one. So many sexual comments about it. This is true. I mean, we can always make sexual comments about things. That's low hanging fruit. 
Someone's low hanging fruit anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, I was about to say something nice and sincere, but then, <laughs> you know, we had to go make more sexual comments, which is the entire point of what we're doing here, I suppose. But the last chapter, I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. Yeah. So the last chapter, Breaking of the Fellowship, I had the privilege of having you read to me because you were here for the holidays. And so I stole you from your family for a day and it was really awesome and really special because friends listening to the show, you get to hear Rin read little clips of things, little short segments so that we don't get sued for copyright infringement but when you really get into the full dm theater kid delivery mode this was so (laughs) awesome and i highlighted a couple points in my notes where i was just thinking like thank god i had rin read this to me so i could experience it that way instead of just in my own brain because you do voices you did the pacing you conveyed the emotions and the subtleties and the nuances of everything and it was a fucking delight so that was really fun for me and also just nice to literally bookend it ending the same way we started with you reading it to me which by the way i will be expecting for the next two books so you're on the hook for that but great that was really fun (laughs) it'll be so hard for you it will be very difficult, but they have to make a decision now about mm-hmm. where to go. And obviously we know from the chapter that not everyone is going to make the same decision. Yeah. Right. Uh, and Aragorn gives this little speech about what to choose, but they all know. And I think it's really obvious that they all know. And if it weren't for Boromir, they would have all gone with him. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. Like, Frodo's got to go destroy the ring. That is the whole purpose of this quest. Yeah. And we know that uh, Elrond said that any of the rest of you can fuck off at any point. But like at various points throughout the chapter, like every other member of the party says they plan to follow Frodo. You know, they think they should go to Minas Tirith mostly because they're scared of what lies in Mordor. But if Frodo chooses to go, they will follow Frodo. Mm-hmm. Because it is his quest and it is their job to ensure he completes it. And Aragorn sort of leaves it up to Frodo to decide because mm-hmm. everyone acknowledges he's the one with the ring. We got to do what he says. So Aragorn tells Frodo that he should choose which direction they go. And Frodo is understandably very stressed. That feels like a lot of pressure, which, you know, obviously he's aware that he would have to make this kind of decision at some point, but it's still a lot. And so he asks for an hour to kind of collect himself and think and try to figure it out. And Sam especially has a lot of insight into what Frodo is thinking and feeling. And that just gets more and more finely honed as the chapter gets on but it starts with after Frodo asks for his time away Sam who had been watching his master with great concern shook his head and muttered plain as a pikestaff it is but it's no good Sam Gamgee putting his spoke in just now and this is foreshadowing the end of the chapter that Sam knows what Frodo is going to choose and Mm -hmm. it's just great to see how in sync they are and that Sam is just 
aware that this is a production of Frodo needing to go off and have his contemplation and be a little bit dramatic, but it's very obvious to him what the ultimate answer is going to be. Because what's rule number one? Magic makes you dramatic. Mm-hmm. And Frodo's carrying the magic ring. Also, he's gay. Yeah, they're in love. And when you are in love with someone, you know them very well. You can predict the things that they're going to do. And Frodo is a gay little trans nice. boy with his ring and... He needs he needs some time, uh, <laughs> but he goes off to the fire. Frodo goes off to sit, um, and again, I thought back to that poem that uh, that Bilbo had uh, right before they left, which was, "I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen." Mm-hmm. Again, just little callbacks. In my own mind, not in the text necessarily, but but who comes along but incel Boromir? Yeah, so Sam also, as he's being very perceptive, notices Boromir, Boromir, Boromir giving Frodo a weird look as he leaves, and he's watching him really intently. And Frodo goes off for his time in solitude, and he feels like he's being watched by some malignant force and then he turns around and it's Boromir it's just a friend right and that is really the beginning of the incel vibes of Mm -hmm. feeling like something is off oh wait no this is just this guy who's my friend and then you suddenly realize that you are alone with this person who you thought you trusted who you realize you can't trust at all and that just bone deep fear uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I felt that. Uh-huh. Um, I, think, I think we've all been there. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. But, yeah, Boromir's corrupted and drawn by the ring. And then he has what essentially amounts to the exact same argument that he had with the entire council at the Council of Elrond. So, you know... Everyone's saying, can we use this as a weapon? No, we can't. The only option is for it to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. So Boromir is trying so hard to be like, well, but later, now that he's got Frodo alone. Yeah, and he tries to start with persuasion. He starts trying to be friendly and offering advice and Frodo says no thank you I don't need advice I just need to think by myself and he tries to present his argument and he really presses that's more of that incel energy of trying to politely say no and then the other person just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and you can't get them to stop and then he sort of progresses from trying to use reason to an emotional argument to just straight up screaming at Frodo and saying that the ring rightly belongs to him and that it is not yours save by unhappy chance. It might have been mine. It should be mine. Give it to me. And like lunges for him and starts attacking him. And this was another part that you delivered so well in just the subtle changes of his tone as he starts trying to be friendly and then just gets this sort of frantic energy about him it was so good listeners 
I don't wish that you were all there because I enjoyed having that moment with my bestie, but spiritually, I wish that you could experience an equivalent delivery because it was really good. Maybe at some point we'll do some form of bonus content that doesn't go out to like live so we don't get sued about it. Um, I would love to not get sued. I don't I don't know what happens if you get sued. It seems scary and expensive. Yeah, I don't I don't want to deal with that, but maybe we could do some sort of like live thing where I read. Um That would be awesome. But uh maybe maybe we'll set we'll we'll just tease, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll set a like number of new listener goals or something and figure that out. We can we can think about that. Um yeah. So tell your friends about the podcast if you want to um, see us doing more more fun things out in the mm-hmm. wide world. Anyway, uh, Bor- I did note that Boromir requests to see the ring, and it feels like the same way that Bilbo did, right? Yes. And that that's what shows you, oh, it's the ring doing this to him, right? It's not mm-hmm. just him being entitled, like... Yeah, there's some of that. He's but he has been taken in by the madness of the ring. Right? The ring is corrupting him specifically. But this time Frodo keeps it hidden rather than showing yeah. it. Interesting that line, it might have been mine, it should have been mine. I'm not really sure I understand like why it should be his. Cause I think the argument that oh sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I was just gonna say, like, there's not really any situation in which the ring would have come to him. Yeah. And I think that the absurdity of that is what that line is supposed to illustrate because, Mm. you know, saying that the ring isn't yours except by unhappy chance that Bilbo originally got the ring under these really random circumstances and similar random circumstances could have happened to anyone. So there's nothing inherent about Bilbo that made him deserve the ring initially or made him worthy to have it. And the only reason that Frodo has it now is just because he happens to be related to Bilbo and Bilbo gave it to him. So he doesn't, his argument is that Frodo doesn't have any legitimate merit based claim to the ring. Mm -hmm. And therefore it should just as rightly be his as it should be. Frodo's, which is a stupid argument. It doesn't make sense, but he is being corrupted by evil magic. So his reasoning is not going to be the most clear, but I don't think that we're supposed to see his point of view there. Right. I do also, the other thing about him being taken in by the madness of the ring and him being the first one to be taken in by the madness of the ring. Right. We know that hobbits are like unusually resistant to the ring for one. Mm-hmm. We also know that elves have not historically had issues with the rings, but we know that dwarves did and men did historically. Mm-hmm. And all the ring rates, nine ring rates were created from the nine rings, the nine for mortal men doomed to die. Yeah. So I just think it's it it makes sense. It shows us the power that this ring has and the type of people in Middle Earth who are most numerous and most adaptable 
but least able to resist that call of power. Yeah. And Boromir has a line right before the unhappy chance line where he says, it is by our own folly that the enemy will defeat us, which he means in reference to his own plan that because we're all idiots who don't listen to good old Boromir, we're going to lose. But it is by his own folly that the enemy is taking over him with Mm -hmm. the ring. And that tragic irony is one of the things that just makes me sad for him because yeah, Mm -hmm. he's kind of a dick, but he, I don't think there's any way that he could have prevented what the ring is doing to him. And this is a little like slice of almost that almost makes this like a little piece of horror right? Mm -hmm. That inevitable corruption that you see in so many like horror stories, right? That's not something we typically see in like a high fantasy, but that that's, it's a very frequent trope in horror. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see it here. Yeah. And he's, he's helpless against it. And at the end of all of this, Frodo puts on the ring and runs away. And then Boromir trips and falls on a rock and snaps out of it. And, realizes what he's done and how horrible it is and that also makes it so much worse because it's not like he's completely lost and just blinded by the ring and its power he then also feels remorse for what happened Mm. and it's not like he's totally snapped out of it forever but enough that he sort of exits that moment and realizes that he has yelled at Frodo he's threatened him Frodo has run away he has fucked everything up super bad and i do think that part of his tearful apology in that moment is still him trying to get frodo to come back and still trying to get more chances to convince him but i do also think that the bigger part is his humanity peeking through because we see especially later on when frodo puts on the ring that internal battle, the two voices, there's the ring voice and there's his own inner voice and his Mm -hmm. moral compass. And so I think that Boromir is having a similar fight and the ring is mostly winning, but his true self is kind of peeking out in that moment for a second. And that just Mm -hmm. makes it so much sadder. Yeah. Because Frodo puts on the ring to get away from Boromir. Mm Mm-hmm. And he goes up to sit on the magic seat at Amon Hen that lets him see for miles. And he can see Mirkwood and the Misty Mountains and the land of the Beornings and Lorien and Moria. Um, and he sees all sorts of ha- like strange happenings lots of fire and violence and armies massing and i have to wonder if he's seeing things that are or if there's almost a property like the mirror of galadriel here where he's seeing things that might be yeah i also connected this to that moment because these are some really distressing images Mm -hmm. and it's just all bad so I'm not sure, you know, how Emon Hen knows what to show you when you sit up there, you know, how it's determined what you see, but he's definitely getting really terrible visions of just chaos everywhere. And then he feels the eye. 
searching for him. Oh, that was so fucked up and so stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a scene in the 1977 animated Hobbit film, uh, which I feel like we might have to do a, like a special bonus episode on at some point. Like we've talked about it at another point, like between us, but I think mm-hmm. maybe at some point we'll do it. We'll do a bonus episode for that one. But in which Smog, the dragon, opens his eyes and it's like his eyes are like a searchlight going around searching mm-hmm. for Bilbo. And that's almost what this like felt like to me, right? Is is it's talking about, you know, like Frodo is is saying he can see the eye landing on Amon Law across the river and then on uh Tolbrandir, and then it's going to dive towards Amon Hen, and he has to take off the ring. Um But like you said, he's got the warring voices in his brain. Um, But I also, I felt like this, you know, he's getting like a beam of light from this eye in Mordor to where it's hitting these places. Um, Yeah. And it's not just magically sensing him. It's physically seeing him, which makes it so much worse. mm -hmm. I feel like it makes Sauron feel so much more physically present in that moment. And as he's got the ring on and Sauron is looking at him and the ring's influence is getting stronger and stronger. And he's having this really climactic moment in his internal battle where he knows that the only way to end it is to take the ring off. As that is happening, I wrote down the line, he heard himself crying out, never, never, or was it verily I come, I come to you. He could not tell. And the you being Sauron, you know, verily I come to you. And that also is so terrifying in that he doesn't know what he's screaming in that moment. If he is denying Sauron or if he is fully giving in to his influence and saying, yes, I will come to you. I'll bring you the ring. And he has just lost all awareness of himself in that moment. And that is really freaky. Yeah. Um, and that is when he decides he needs to leave alone and at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can't take anyone with him because some of them he can't trust. And those that he trusts are too dear to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the first of a couple of times I had another quote that my mind called back to. Um, but I'll bring it up on the last of those times. Okay, um, cool. But I just want I just want to note that here. Um, and he puts on the fucking ring again to go enact his decision, which I don't understand. Why are you putting on the ring again? The eye got close to finding you last time. It's like, if you hear a sound once, it's hard to pinpoint where it is, but if you hear it more than once. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, that was, that was not his best decision. And I get he has no, to sneak past where, wherever the party is who are all meanwhile discussing what they're going to do. And they all decide they're going to go with Frodo. Um, yeah, because more or less Frodo had requested an hour to think, and it's been way more than an hour mm-hmm. and everyone is wondering what happened to him. And Sam brilliantly explains literally everything that's happening in Frodo's head at that moment. Mm-hmm. He knows that Frodo knows exactly what he has to do, but he's terrified. He is so scared of this huge burden that's been placed on him. And he knows that the party would go with him, which is exactly why he can't bring them because he doesn't want to put anyone in danger. And Sam is just 
expounding on all of his insights into Frodo's mind. And then Boromir shows up and gives a very inadequate explanation of what happened, but enough to Mm -hmm. send everyone looking for Frodo. Yeah. uh, I had one more comparison of Boromir to real world people that we have encountered here, um, which is he gives off confused straight man and a group of queers energy. Mm, Which is he recognizes that. that like he normally has a bunch of privilege and power, but not here. And that's irking him. (laughs) And he's not sure why or how it's irking him, but it's irking him. Mm -hmm. The other thing Aragorn at one point during this whole decision-making process suggests splitting the party. And I'm like, come on, Aragorn, have you never played D&D? Have you never been an (laughs) archetype on which D&D players have based their characters for the last several decades on which an entire class is named? You know that's a bad idea. You know that's the worst idea. Don't split the party. fucking Scooby-Doo. I'm not going <laughs> to split up. Um, <laughs> but, but they, they do split yeah. up. and yeah, They split up to go search for Frodo. And it mentions at one point clear high Hobbit voices. They were calling out Frodo's name. And I want to know now what the Hobbit vocal range is. Yes, same. Do Hobbit voices change in adulthood? Uh, to what degree do hobbits have like neoteny? To what degree are hobbits um, pedomorph uh, humans? Which mm-hmm. occur- so neoteny is the preservation of juvenile traits into adulthood, and you often mm-hmm. see it. You see it in humans um, compared to like the rest of like the great apes, right? And you also see it in domesticated animals a fair amount compared mm-hmm. to their quote unquote wild ancestors. So, and uh, pedomorphism is the development of a um, form in which it, in which there is neoteny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, quote unquote, uh, pedomorphic dogs are dogs that look like puppies their whole lives, more or less. Yeah. So I want to know is like, to what degree do hobbits look like human children? Uh, to what degree do hobbits look, do hobbit children look like adult hobbits? Um, mm-hmm. Do their voices change? Uh, you know, what's, what's the difference here? I think, I think that's an interesting little question. Um, what happens with hobbit puberty because they take so long to mature? How slow mm-hmm. is that process? Yeah. Um, but anyway, that was that was just a little uh the little bit of the biologist in me that went, hmm, that's fun. <laughs> I like that. It is fun. I thought the word neoteny as I was reading and I went, oh shit, now we're now we're in it. Um yes, we are. Uh like now we're back in my animal behavior course. Mm-hmm. And so um, once the party splits up. Yes. Sam goes with Aragorn, but he, speaking of being small, just can't keep up. Um, he says, your legs are too short, so use your head. Let me see now. Boromir isn't lying. That's not his way, but he hasn't told us everything. Something scared Mr. Frodo badly. And it goes on a little bit. He made up his mind at last to go. Where to? Off east. Not without Sam. Yes, even without his Sam, 
that's hard, cruel hard. And he's crying as he realizes this and wiping tears from his eyes. And that was absolutely fucking heartbreaking in Mm -hmm. that he still loves Frodo very deeply. And he obviously understands why he's making the choice that he's making, but to be left behind, that is the worst thing that Frodo could possibly do to Sam. I think in his mind, that's worse than Sam going with him and being in danger because that is his entire purpose, both in his career and just also as a person, is to be Frodo's companion. So that is mm-hmm. just the most tragic thing. And it yeah. really hurts him when he realizes that. Yeah, so Sam goes, WWFD, what would Frodo do? And <laughs> makes his way down to the boats. Yeah, because he brilliantly deduces where Frodo is. So he's thinking, okay, Frodo's going to leave. He needs his stuff. Where is his stuff? It's with the boats. He's going to need a boat to keep going on the journey. And it's interesting to me that no one else in the party seems to think Mm -hmm. of that. But Sam just Uh very calmly pauses and logically thinks through all of the things that would happen and finds Frodo in the nick of time. Listen... Sam might not have a lot of book learning as we've established before, but that, you know, like we said with Butterbur, that does not make a, uh, a person smart or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is not the care and keeping of potatoes like his father. This is the care and keeping of Frodo, which is his purpose, as you said. Mm-hmm. But also we did have a little bit of foreshadowing last chapter where Sam is really bad with the boats and he can't Mm. swim. (laughs) Yeah. He finds Frodo's boat as it's leaving and Frodo's still wearing the ring. So it looks like the boat is just slipping off into the water by itself. And he runs after it and he tries to grab it and he falls in the water to save me, Mr. Frodo, gasped Sam. I'm drowned. I can't see your hand. Which, like, I've drowned, obviously, charming. And if you were drowned, you wouldn't be able to talk. So it's, you know, maybe a bit traumatic, but it's, I'm drowned. I loved it. I love Sam. Um, well, and Frodo realizes it's no use trying to escape and go off without Sam. And I thought back. To a conspiracy unmasked. So did I, yes. By Mary. Uh, but this is this is the line that I was calling out earlier. It Mary says this, but it applies very much with Sam. You can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. Uh, but you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. Mm-hmm. We are your friends, Frodo. And even the ring can't keep him from Sam ultimately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the power of their love is always going to be enough to bring them back together. And I thought that was beautiful. And Frodo goes, all right, let's gather. And Sam thankfully stops him and goes basically like, Hey, we're let's get stuff. Let's wait. Yeah, five you need minutes. food. You need off. supplies. Yeah, yeah, they're all off searching for you. Don't like waiting for me to get you a couple of things is not going to let them find you and stop you. 
Let's get mm-hmm. our supplies and then we can go. I promise. And so they get their stuff and they go off on into the land of shadow, as it says, on, quote, the last stage of the quest together. The last stage of the quest that will take another another thousand pages. <laughs> yeah. And they have, as they're getting ready to go, they have a little exchange while they're, Sam is scrambling back like a wet water rat, <laughs> just sort of pathetic and scrungly. <laughs> and Sam calls Frodo out for trying to leave without him and also expresses that he's hurt, which healthy communication king. We love that. And go. Frodo tries to explain that he was trying to leave so that Sam wouldn't be in danger. And this was another part that you delivered brilliantly when you were reading this to me, because I think you hit it with the perfect combination of tenderness because there is so much love in this interaction. There's a lot of gentleness in the way that they're talking to each other and that Frodo is really trying to impress on Sam that he's doing this to protect him. And Sam is trying to impress on Frodo that he's so devoted to him that he'll go anywhere with him. But then there's also tension and hurt because they each want to protect each other, but Sam isn't going to let Frodo just get away with how he's acting. There's a lot of layers to that interaction, and that speaks to the depth of the relationship that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't really have anything more for the chapter. Um, yeah, I had one more just kind of yeah. general observation that I would need to check to see if it was substantiated because this just occurred to me as I was getting my notes and things ready before we hit record. But Frodo and Sam address each other by name a lot. And that I think really adds to the feeling of intimacy in their conversations. And with such a big ensemble cast, you always need to specify who you're talking to. Otherwise things get really confusing. Particularly when they all use the same pronoun. Yeah, God. And so you generally do have characters at least pointing out who they're directing the conversation toward. But there's a lot of reciprocal, like they will say each other's names back and forth to one another, I feel like more than most characters do. And that just, I mean, like I said, it adds another layer of familiarity and specialness. Everyone likes hearing their own name said, but they communicate a lot of affection for each other that way as well. Yeah. We can definitely look at that and see if that's a, something to something we can pay attention to as we go forward. Although now that we're not in the ensemble cast, um, I guess now that we're not in the ensemble cast, it'll be interesting to see if that keeps up. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be looking for it more as we go on. Yeah. Do we have anything we want to talk about, about fellowship as a whole? We can also think on that and address it next time. I love fellowship. Um, I think I understand how it can be a slog, especially, you know, if you do it like we do and draw it out over four months. Um, 
of release time. Um, I do want everyone to know by the time this episode is released, we've been working on this podcast for over a year. Yeah. It's a labor of um, love. Which, you know, there was plenty of time where we couldn't record due to various things happening, but uh, we, the two of us have been reading fellowship together more or less since like September of 22. Mm-hmm. So for this to now be, we are now in our time, almost December of 23 uh, and in release time, February of 2024. So this has been a a long journey on this first book, and the next two will go quicker, hopefully. But also, I think we're gonna we're gonna give them the same attention that we gave this first one. Yeah, I don't think I've ever read a book this closely. And oh God, no. unpacked it this thoroughly before. Definitely not even for college, because those I would just pick some random. This is a hot tip. If you're in college and you have a lot of readings to do and you don't want to do them or you run out of time to do them, just pick to a random part. It can't be the beginning or end of a chapter because that's obvious. But somewhere in the middle, pick some bullshit, read a page and a half. And then when you go into your discussion section the next day, say, this part really stood out to me. And then just talk about that part. And people think, I did that so many, especially in French. Oh my God, I read so many French novels. And I would just pick one part and talk about that and act like I was really insightful. But I have enjoyed really, like you said, giving this attention, taking our time with it. Because I think if I had tried to just sit down and read it end to end by myself the way that I would normally read a book, I wouldn't have enjoyed it this much. I would have mm-hmm. definitely picked up on a couple of things and thought, oh, okay, I see what all the fuss is about. This is a fun book. But this experience that I've had with this book and that, you know, we'll continue having with the next two is totally its own unique thing. And it's taken us from the beginning cozy birthday party in the Shire to now bleak world altering stakes. But I think that every step along that journey, all of that escalation made sense. It's building up in a logical way. There's so many layers of shit to unpack. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's great. I love that Tolkien has put so much thought into this world before this, before the story came together in this form because you can really tell. And I think that also just makes it so much more satisfying that it this book will reward however much effort you put into it. However deep you want to go on literally anything, there will be something to reward your efforts. I think this, you know, the way that we have structured this podcast has grown out of the phone calls that you and I used to have whenever we'd finish a queer book. Mm-hmm. which is anything that like you and I have both read, you know, you finish the book and then there's an immediate phone call to discuss yeah. things that have happened in the book. Um, and now we're just doing that, you know, with every two chapters roughly. Yeah. 
So I'm I'm excited to go forward and keep doing that and keep reading gayness into these books. Um, I'm really excited to get more because we will get more Legolas and Gimli um, and their friendship as we go forward. Quote unquote friendship mm-hmm. as I do the air quotes. Companionship. Companionship. Uh, and historians will call them close friends, besties. Uh, <laughs> roommates. Roommates. And they were roommates in a Boston marriage, no less. <laughs> I had another thought that went away as as soon as um, you were talking about how much you enjoyed this. But I'm glad that you're enjoying it so far. I hope if you are sitting with us here in episode 11, uh, you also are enjoying uh, enjoying our analysis and discussion and uh bad jokes that would uh, come out of the mind of a 12 year old. (laughs) But I hope you stick with us through the rest of the series. Um, Just a quick little look at what we have ahead of us. Um, It is currently February 6th. If you are listening to this on the day it's released, Um, which means you have two weeks until our next episode. Uh, the next episode, at least one episode, will be a bonus episode. We're going to talk about something that is not the main book. Uh, we haven't fully discussed on what that will be. Um, but by the time, obviously, that this comes out, we will know and have recorded that. It will probably have something to do with either Tolkien's uh, history and background. Um, I also thought it might be an interesting idea to read some of the uh, introduction and appendix uh, type stuff. It might be interesting uh, for us to go over some of our history with the Hobbit. We'll, we'll see what we're feeling, but then we're going to dive into the two towers and uh, probably between because like fellowship, the, both the two towers and return of the King are divided into two books each Um, And so probably we'll drop, you know, a bonus episode in the middle of each of those books just to keep dividing this up and keep dropping little bits of content that we've wanted to discuss that aren't directly related to the book itself. If there's anything that you want to hear us talk about bonus content wise that you think would be fun, let us know. We are totally open to suggestions, whatever folks would be interested in. Obviously, we have our own ideas, but... We are super open to whatever folks would like to hear us discuss. Yeah, we have planned out uh, discussions of the effects of Lord of the Rings on D&D and Tolkien appearing in other literature and music. Um, and uh, potentially at some point, if we just don't have the energy to record, but Sam has a bunch of en- energy to edit, uh, compiling clip <laughs> cut clips together of us saying things that just shouldn't be said on the podcast, but are mm-hmm. <laughs> including things we've definitely cut from this episode. Yeah, I'm um, sure. I'm sure. So if you have other ideas, please let us know. Uh, let us know on our social media. Honestly, by this point, I've probably just focused on the Instagram uh, at fan app pod on Instagram. Cause that's where I spend most of my time. 
But you can also find us on Twitter slash X and TikTok at FanAppPod. And hopefully at some point I will also put stuff up there. You can send us an email at thefandomapprentice at gmail.com. You can come directly up to us if you happen to know us in real life. Uh, if you don't, and for some reason have figured out who we are, that's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> keep that to yourself. If you've seen us with your evil eye as we cower from your gaze, then mind your business. Yeah, please. But otherwise, um, I'm really excited to kind of keep moving forward through the rest of Lord of the Rings. And as we get further through, we'll reveal our plans for the future uh, further out. But for now, what you can expect next time is us talking about Something related to Tolkien, but not directly related to the content of the books. Mm -hmm. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you are using. Spread uh, the word to your friends as uh, we didn't have a lot show up in our Spotify wrapped again, because as we uh, noted, it we weren't out long enough for it to really pay attention to us this year. Um, but it did say that 100% of people sharing and finding the podcast was through direct links. So at least by the time it stopped tracking, everyone had found the podcast through recommendations from friends and that could have been recommendations from us directly, but also from you, our wonderful listener. So please continue to do that. It really helps the podcast grow. And, uh, you know, if, if they're friends with you, they probably will also like our brand of nerdy shenanigans. Mm -hmm. Anything else, Sam? No, I think that's it. I just really appreciate all of our listeners spending some time with us enjoy it it's it's very humbling to think that people like to listen to what we have to say and we hope that we'll continue making it worthwhile for you we have a lot of stuff we're really excited to talk about so until next time when we embark on the last stage of the podcast which will feature <laughs> two more full books and more <laughs> stay safe have fun get some rest Treat yourselves well, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. <laughs> the Phantom Apprentice is produced and edited by Rin and Sam. Our music was composed and performed by James, and our art is by Casey Turgeon. This podcast is created for non-commercial entertainment purposes, and the opinions expressed therein are our own and are not reflected with the opinions of any other person or organization. The content discussed is the property of the Tolkien Estate and is used here under fair use. Thank you.